The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present the Diane Ray Show. If you're feeling like the rug is being pulled out from under you or that you are in a perpetual state of WTF, fill in the blanks, um, is what is going on here, you're definitely not alone. What we have collectively been through over the past two years is unprecedented in our lifetimes. And unless there are people still around that experience the 1918 flu pandemic, what we're going through is just something new and different. So we've been coming out of this and things will never be the same. Times of great challenges can also be times of amazing growth and transformation. And we're going to be talking about this today with my guest, Valerie Gangas. She explores this in her book, In Deep Shift riding the waves to find peace, fulfillment, and freedom. And Valerie is an author, meditation teacher, and she worked with Oprah teaching her meditation. So she knows what she's doing here, a women's coach, and she's the founder of Juniper Holiday and Home, a premier vacation rental and property management business, which brings her back to her roots of hospitality and hosting. So she's done a lot of things and experienced a lot of things. We're going to be talking about this today. So welcome to the show, Valerie. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. And one, one clarification, I don't actually teach, uh, meditation. I, my background is working with, um, transcendental meditation teachers, and they were the ones responsible for teaching Oprah. I just was on staff to, uh, oh, okay. yeah, just, I just want to make it clear. I wasn't actually teaching. I was like a support system for people learning. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for the clarification for sure. But you did work, you worked with Oprah or around the staff, right? Helping them with meditation. So that's a pretty amazing experience. Yeah. I worked with Oprah and her team for uh, two years in Chicago. I was basically on hand to lead meditations. She allowed everyone in her company to leave their desks twice a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes late afternoon. And we would all gather together in um, the theater room and meditate together. And then basically I was on hand to help organize and also speak to people before they'd learn to meditate. And then after, because anyone that's learned to meditate knows that it can um, bring up a lot of changes and it can be kind of confusing, which all of this is like kind of why I wrote the book. Um, People start entering into shifts in consciousness after they learn how to to meditate. So my job was to make people feel comfortable and try and answer all their questions for them. And you worked with the David Lynch Foundation in in that capacity. Is that right? 
Yeah, the David Lynch Foundation um, was the organization uh, responsible for bringing in all the meditation teachers into Harpo Studios to get the whole thing organized. She, Oprah wanted her staff to learn in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. And I, I just happened to be in the Chicago location. Well, I love that that topic of meditation is even becoming a common thing. You know, you're, you're seeing it on TV where they're showing characters that are actually practicing meditation. I've seen that on different episodes, like the show Billions. Uh, they showed one of the main characters would sit in meditation. Um, you know, Howard Stern's talked about it, Jerry Seinfeld, a lot of people that practice TM. So I think people are becoming more aware of how powerful that that practice can be and how beneficial it can be in their lives. Yeah. So I mean, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I know, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, like whenever the Beatles learned, it was, there was a surge in people learning. And, um, even like my mom learned and she was not the type of person that would probably go in that direction. I think it became pretty common, but then it kind of got quiet again. And now it is becoming more mainstream and it's like, why not? It's so helpful. And it's so easy. Like, why not do something like that to help yourself? I don't know. Right. It seems like a no brainer. I think it's just giving ourselves that permission to have, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of time to ourselves. I know that's, what's been a challenge for me where I always fall off the meditation wagon and then have, I to, mean, get, have to get back on. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and also another part is I feel like, um, all of the writing that I do, I try and normalize things that maybe aren't seen, seen as very quote unquote normal, like whatever that is, because all this stuff to me is as normal as like brushing my teeth. So that's like one of my goals in my writing to make things like meditation super accessible and not attach any type of like odd thoughts or feelings connected to it. Right. No weirdness. And mm -mm. I want to I talk about, about the book, obviously, in Deep Shift and in your writing and your voice. And we were chatting a little bit before the interview. And I said, I really liked your voice in the book. It felt like it was just someone that I could have a glass of wine with, you know, talk, talking about what's what's going on in my life. And you do make all of this seem very accessible and very normal. And I'm sure that was one of your goals in the book, right? For sure. And I mean, also, that's like the only way I know how to write. Just it's normal for me. This is what I do. These are my experiences. You know, take what you want from it, because um, I've normalized all of these different practices in my life. And made it a part of your life every day, right? Yeah, I made it a part of my life. To me, again, it's like brushing your teeth. I don't I don't really see a difference between like if I'm meditating or, you know, all sorts of different self-care things to me, it's like it, I don't know if I want to go so far as survival, but in order to be happy, I had to implement these things into my life. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. And let's talk about deep shifts because 
I, I love when that happens, not that it's not painful or that it can't be painful, but I think that we're all going through deep shifts to some degree, just everything we've collectively gone through over the past two years with the pandemic, nothing is ever really going to be the same. We're trying to kind of kid mm-hmm. ourselves. I think like I'm looking around and, you know, people are thinking, oh, that's behind us, but I don't think that anything will ever really be the same. Businesses have changed. People have taken a look at their lives and they're saying, you know, there was called the quote, great resignation. People were quitting mm-hmm. their jobs and people are paying more attention to that still small voice within that's kind of tapping them on the shoulder and saying, look, life can be more than this. This isn't just it. You don't have to sit in this cubicle. You don't have to take this crap from this boss if you don't want to. You have a choice. And in the in the book, I thought it was interesting. You said that you can find yourself in this space without having to hit, quote, rock bottom. I think maybe if you hit rock bottom, that might make it easier because you have no other choice but to go up, right? Right. Well, people have two choices at that point. They can either go up or they can keep, you know, just grinding into the ground and that's not going to end well. But I think for most people, especially if you have like the one big kahuna deep shift, it's going to be something major in your life that's really going to shake up the system and everything you thought you knew about your life. I think as time goes on and you get smarter and you're like, you can see things coming or maybe you're like very proactive about the way you live. It's becomes less and less. And you also have an expanded awareness and expanded levels of consciousness. So you can actually handle more. They don't seem the things that maybe would have thrown you for a loop before that doesn't really happen as much anymore. So it becomes a smoother ride. I think as time uh, goes on. Do you think that comes with age? I know sometimes people don't really look at that part of their life or or those parts of their life until they hit like their forties or, you know, maybe even their, their thirties. Sometimes people don't realize anything until much later. Yeah. I think it's pretty common thirties and forties is when it really starts kicking in. Um, Father Richard Rohr always talks about like the first half and second half of life. And I believe that to be true. And it's probably, you know, a deep shift that gets you like crosses you crosses the Rubicon and you're in that second part of life, that that second half of life that you do live differently and think differently about things and kind of reevaluate how um, life has been going along up to that point. There's before and after, right? I think it's before like before and a, after for a sure. DNA shift, right? It just kind of changes you in that very, you know, molecular level, like the, the the total, the DNA of your, of your person and who you are. And I wanted to touch a little bit on some of the pathways that can lead people to this space, because I, I see it around me. A lot of my friends and family, I, I see it in myself, you know, going through these deep shifts and there's no guarantee of what's going to happen on the other end, mm-hmm. but this, your book kind of prepares you for this. And you know, you go over a couple of them, like grief is a big one. And it could be grief from a death or a divorce or a loss of a job or a total change. And this is also a big opportunity for growth, right? Absolutely. And we're all going to experience grief. You know, you're going to lose a parent or a sibling or a child. You can lose your job. I think 
Like for me, it was the worst thing that could happen to me in the whole world was that I would lose my mom. And when that became my reality, you know, that was my ultimate deep shift. I I don't believe anything at this point could touch that. And I mean, I'm not trying to tempt like the universe here, but really that was my greatest fear. But maybe for someone else, you know, their ego is super attached to money and they, they have to file for bankruptcy or something. I think it's like that the biggest, worst thing, scariest thing that can happen to you, that is what's really going to change your whole life um, forever. And that that is when there is a before and after, really. Right. And life can never be the, the same Mm-mm. after that. Do you think in dealing, you know, with grief and I mean, you've definitely been touched, you know, losing your mother and, and losing your brother as well. Do you think if there was more conversation around that life transition, Because people just, we don't like to talk about death at all. No, we don't. And I've noticed uh, a big shift in myself from when my mom died to when my brother died. I I had about nine or 10 deaths in my family, which within um, 10, 11 years. And I noticed how I reacted maybe to one death versus another was very different. When my mom died, I had no tools in place at all. I was in survival mode, trying to keep myself alive, trying to keep her alive, you know, probably working too much. All, all the things were off, but after she passed away and I got myself into a new space and learned to meditate and started really taking care of myself, I was better equipped to handle the deaths that followed her, including my brothers, because, um, I just had more awareness around it. And I, was able to take care of myself to a totally different level than, than before. And it made a huge difference. Right. Right. I think the good thing is I'm seeing those conversations starting to change. People are, there's actually something called a death cafe where people Mm -hmm. go and and talk about it. And I think that's definitely going to help, you know, going forward. Cause a lot of people are just not prepared when that kind of rug is, is pulled out from under you. Yeah. And and the question is like, can you ever really be prepared till you actually experience it? And then again, it's that thing happens where you start thinking like, okay, that was really awful. What do I need to do to take care of myself? It's like, I think you can try and prepare, you could read about it and you could have conversations about it and have a support system in place. But until you actually experience it and live it, I don't know how you could fully grasp it to prepare yourself for it to happen again, because it it is going to happen again. I mean, we're going to live through a series of deaths in all of our lives. So it's not something we can avoid. Right. It's part of the human experience. That's true. And you're right. No one can really prepare you for those feelings. I mean, just hopefully you'll be able to prepare and having maybe a support system or something Mm -hmm. like that around you um, when that time comes, but that's definitely a huge shift. Um, other shifts that you mentioned in the book, um, you know, dealing with a major illness or recovering from a, addiction. And that's an interesting one, I think, because that's where a lot of times people will say, well, you have to hit rock bottom first, like with an alcohol addiction or drugs or something like that. But it could be, you know, food or sex or work. Or, I mean, addiction comes in our lives in so many forms. We're all addicted to something. I've, I've never met <laughs> someone that doesn't have some sort of addiction. It's whether you can manage it or not. And if it's something like alcohol or drugs or, you know, anything that's killing you, then 
that obviously you have to take massive action to change. But I do feel like we all have an addiction to something. It's, it's just the human condition. Right. And just making note of that and making those changes that are necessary and then coming out on the other end. Now, now another major shift that I thought was interesting, you brought up experiencing a miracle. And I wanted to ask you about this because so many people don't believe that there can be a miracle. What is a quote miracle? You know, is it an intervention, you know, uh, from God or the universe or however you want to, to describe that, you know, what do you think is a, a miraculous event? Life-changing it's definitely event. something that is way bigger than you. You could never see it coming. You could never, you know, write it out. This is how it's going to happen. It's something that completely surprises you and literally swoops in and saves you. And that like, when I learned to meditate, that was a full blown miracle because Walking into that room with my TM teacher, I was suicidal. And 20 minutes later, I like the lights came on. My whole life changed. I mean, I could I would consider that a full-blown miracle. And I never in a million years could have ever seen that coming. It it, it was beyond my capacity to like to think that big. So that is what I would consider a miracle. It's interesting with meditation because I've, from what you describe in the book, I've, I've experienced some some similar things. I, I was able to meditate with this amazing spiritual teacher, Ram Das, and that kind of came together in a bizarre way. Like I never thought I would even get to meet him, but I remember during that meditation, you described those heightened senses, mm-hmm. and I could hear like there was a hummingbird outside. I could hear it. I could hear his cat eating the food, the dry food in the next room. It's incredible. It's so incredible. And when you try to explain that to other people, they're like, oh, you know, they they think you're nuts. Well, you're going back to the experience thing. You have to experience it. It's like someone said to me, like, how do you explain what a strawberry tastes like? Like you can't. And being in the presence of someone like Ram Das would absolutely heighten your chances of having an experience like that, just from the energy coming out of a, a person's body like that. Yeah. Oh, it def- it definitely did. And when I try to explain it, first of all, if people don't know who he is, then it doesn't mean anything. right? He's like <laughs> because- one of my favorite people. So that's very <laughs> exciting. It was exciting for me. And I've so I've been kind of I've been kind of chasing that feeling uh, ever since then, but I don't know that it would ever happen unless it's another person that has that kind of amazing energy. um, Well, and it's why people have gurus, right? You know, like let's take Ama as an example, going to hug Ama. It's like, here's a woman that's hugged, I don't know, 30 something million people. There's, she definitely has the juice running through her veins. So that's why people want to be around her because they have heightened spiritual experiences in her presence. Right. Right. I would love to have some kind of, you know, meeting or or experience with her someday, that would be amazing. So people that, I mean, in the book, you talk about people that are kind of set up for being able to naturally shift. And Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of books written over the past couple of years talking about empaths and people that are empathic and able to feel more. And I think that 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 movement has given a lot of people legitimacy to understand what they've been feeling. I mean, I think people have been kind of in the closet with that. And then now they're coming out in the open mm-hmm. and acknowledging that, yeah, I do feel these things when I'm walking to a room, I can, you know, sense who's angry, who's this, who's that I, I feel it. And I feel it 
in a lot of ways myself, maybe not as deeply as some other people. And I'm probably glad that that's the case. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd want to feel that all the time. Um, but maybe you can explain your view on that. So people that are listening to this, and if they find themselves in that category, like, you know, it's okay, you're not crazy, you are really feeling these things. 100% you're not crazy. I read a book, The Highly Sensitive Person, um, years back, and it changed my life because I could not figure out why I, I, knew, I knew I was having experiences that other people weren't. Um, I was so sensitive and I could like feel everyone in the room. I mean, I was having psychic experiences, all these things. And I really, I did not have anyone to talk to, but my mom, she was the only one I confided, um, these, these experiences to. And then I realized, wait a second, there's a lot of us out there and there's empaths, there's highly uh, sensitive people. But my focus on this book was highly spiritual people. I think we're kind of born that way. We've always been interested in spirituality. It's always been a big part of our lives. And we're the ones that tend to have these um, non-ordinary, you know, spiritual experiences. And if you can verbalize it or write about it, well, that's like an added bonus. But I have met so many people now that have all sorts of unbelievable experiences, meditating, walking in nature. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just happening to them. And I realized that they're built for that. They always have been built for that. So, you know, they are sensitive, but they're also spiritually connected more so than other people. And that has created the type of person that can um, crack open and, and really have these direct experiences with God or, you know, the universe, whatever you want to call it. Right. And I, I love that in the book, I think people that read this and they're going to recognize these things in themselves and you provide a great checklist for people to look over, you know, and I, I recognized a lot of those things, but I love that it's giving people permission to step into this because I think if we deny that spiritual part of ourselves, it's at our own peril. Absolutely. You know? I think the reason there's so much anxiety and depression and you know, just heartache in the world is we're so disconnected from nature. We're so far removed from this thing that I'm talking about. And really when you move into that space and you move in with confidence and it kind of becomes who you are, I think it breeds joy and happiness and energy and independence. It's like, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. And that's why it was my goal to make it as normal as possible, because I really believe that like, this is why we're on the planet to connect to something much larger than ourselves and to make it a part of our everyday lives. It's, it puts you in a different space than just being on your phone all day and like constantly having distractions and everything's busy and you're totally disconnected from yourself and nature. It's, that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. Right. And I often think that when I'm out and I see four or five people out to dinner and they're all on their phones, how, while technology is great and I love it and I use it every day and, you know, as connected as we are, we're even becoming more disconnected, right? Totally. And more and more people are feeling um, anxious and depressed. And so I feel like the proof is in the pudding, especially for children. It's like, when I look back on my life, I'm 46 years old. When I look back, it's like, I can't imagine my childhood 
with this computer in my hands all day. Like it kind of makes me sad when I was little, I would leave the house at like eight o'clock in the morning and come back home for dinner at six. I was, I was free. I didn't have to think about all this stuff. There wasn't so much information like being thrown at me that I don't even think a child's mind can handle it. And why should they handle that? So yes, it's nice that we have access to all this, but what is it really doing for us? I mean, in a way, I think it's hurting us. Right. I agree. There's a lot of studies out there too, that, that would back that up. And now I'm seeing the big fear is, you know, AI and chat, chat GPT. <laughs> it's super weird. Like where, where, where is it going to end? Like, are we just no longer going to have, you know, independent thoughts and creativity and connection with each other? It's, I don't know. It's kind of scary. It is. It's sad for the things that we've lost. Like I think back to one one of my favorite jobs I had in high school was working at a Peaches Records. Mm-hmm. And I would love when people came in and they would ask for, oh, what do you think is good? And talking about music, playing music for them and having like the record store experience. And I feel bad for kids that that's gone. You know, they they've got everything on their iPad or iPod or whatever. And they're using, they're listening to MP3s. They don't, they don't know the joy of reading the back of the record album. You know? Right. <laughs> and just like holding the record and the right. notes and just like, it's so, it was so magical and it really connected you with the artist and the music and to listen to an album from first track all the way to the last straight through, like that is pure joy. You it know, is. now I don't know. It's, it's, I think there's going to have to be a deep shift in the world and for people to be like, this is not working anymore. I, I don't know what that's going to look like or how that's possible, but I do know that people are becoming less and less satisfied and happy with life. So something has to change and it it takes a lot of inner strength to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live that, that way. I'm going to live on my own terms. And I do think when people have a deep shift those start those thoughts start entering their mind because they realize what they were doing before no longer works for them. And that's when the real, like the struggle and the work begins because now you have to learn how to live differently. And it's going to look very different than the other people around you. Right. And in the book, you mentioned about how your relationships are going to shift and people, you know, people around you might not be into what's going on and family, you know, how do you deal with that? And and that is something that people are going to have to address when they when they get to that point, right? Absolutely. And um more times than not, people are not going to understand what you're doing. And it's going to be the people closest around you. And then you have to decide like, are you going to save yourself or are you going to live for other people? Because unless they're on the same, you know, magical mystery tour as your as you they're not going to get it and they're going to be threatened by it and confused by the way you live. So again, it's time to, at that point to get really strong and that's an inside job. I mean, you're not going to figure it out from the outside and you have to go within yourself and start asking some hard questions. Like how are you going to live in order to be happy and um, thrive in the world? And if people are listening and they feel that they're at that point, I think your book is going to be such a great roadmap to help people through these shifts and and realize like, I don't have to be this lonely and miserable. I was reading loneliness as like the next big epidemic. You know, people are just so unhappy 
And I don't think we were put on this planet to be unhappy Mm-mm. No. at all. And, and I think also it's the, it is the bombardment of, of information, the feeling of, and I, I am guilty of it as well. I have to keep up. I have to keep up. I have to be doing this. I have to figure this out. And then you finally get to a point. Um, I, I remember, well, like going to my mother where she was a, such an intelligent woman she was a teacher. But then when I tried to later in life, I was trying to show her how to use a computer. And I thought how great we can email. And she's like, she just didn't want to be bothered with it. I dig it. I like <laughs> it. She's like, like it. I'll talk with you on the phone. I, I don't care. And I'm like, how can you not want to do this? But then after a while, I understood like she just didn't want to do it. You know, I, I get it. I just <laughs> told someone, you know, a couple of days ago, you know, when I'm not working, you know, running a company, doing all these things, like, I probably am going to have a flip phone or maybe just a house phone and maybe I'll, you know, do some wildlife photography or something quiet. And, you know, because this doesn't, it doesn't work for me. This like computers and iPhones and all of this all day, it's, it's grinds on a sensitive person's nervous system. And I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and out on a limb and say, it doesn't work for most people. It's not, it's not natural. It's not, and it's not sustainable. We Uh -uh. can't be in that heightened sense of, you know, that energy of I'm behind, I'm behind. I have to catch up. I have to do this. I have to do this. And I'm I'm exhausted. Yeah. And it's like, who cares? What are we, what are we keeping up with? Like who really, who cares? Like what? Right. What's the race and what do we get at the the end? You know, when we're lying on our deathbed and we're looking back, like, wow, I'm so glad I learned all those programs. You know, I'm so glad I returned those thousand emails that were coming into my inbox every week. It's like, who really? So big picture thinking too is I think what happens to you after a deep shift like this, you you're like, what what actually matters? And what am I even connected to? Or am I just gonna like take this ride with the universe and and let it lead me and trust that. And I think things get a whole lot cooler if you take that route, but you know, it takes some faith. It does. And I love in the book, how you talk about, you know, just getting quiet and giving ourselves that permission to be quiet and, and with your meditation background and practice in place, you know, it's so important for you that if we're able to do that, then we can trust, you know, we can trust the flow of God. We can trust the flow of the universe and, and everything's going to work out. Right. I, I, I always like to think, okay, let's just entertain the thought for this five minutes that it's all going to be okay. It, it might not, but maybe just during those few minutes, it will. But it, it is always okay. <laughs> in the end, it's, I'm not saying every second's perfect, but the right. way you'll look at it, will be, you'll be like, eh, it's not that bad. I don't know. You start falling into a groove where like, it's it's, even the bad stuff doesn't really seem that bad. You're like, okay, this is part of life. And like, this is just happening, but you're, you're approaching it with a different level of consciousness. So all of a sudden it doesn't seem like the end of the world to you. It's just like, okay, this is another experience. Right. And you're not saying Pollyanna by any stretch. Mm -mm. No, it just becomes kind of just a new way of living. I mean, listen, the world's going to keep spinning. Things are going to keep happening. You might get sick. Someone's going to die. You're going to lose your job, but it's how you react to all that, that I think ends up making all the difference in the world. Well, I love the book. I've been spending some time with it. I think it's just some real world 
advice and hey. it's not hard to follow. And I, and I hope that it gets people thinking that, you know, Hey, there could be a glimmer of hope waiting on the other side of whatever deep shift that we happen to be experiencing. If it's like we mentioned, a, addiction, a death, grief, divorce, and there's hope. And so I'm hoping you can tell our listeners, you know, what do you think is on the other side of the deep shift? All those things. I think on the other side of the deep shift is the coolest life that you never could have imagined. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. I, I didn't know on both sides of the coin. I didn't know that you could go so deep down that you could be that depressed that the whole world feels like it's closing in on you and there's no hope to then go to the other side to feel like anything is possible and you're you are partnering with God the universe to like live out this incredible life and all the details the trees and the leaves and the grass and the animals like are all going to seem incredible to you. you're going to thank God that you're on this planet like I didn't know that both things could exist at the same time and that you could experience both of them so um yeah on the other side of a deep shift is a brand new life for you and in a very exciting life, I would say. Well, that sounds cool to me. Just accept it, right? Be ready to accept. Yeah. And it takes time. It's taken me years to keep leaning into it because you're, you have to deprogram yourself. Right. Absolutely. Well, I want people to be able to reach you. I mean, the book is out now uh, through Sounds True and they can pick up the book, uh, Amazon or any, anywhere they get their books. And how can people reach you? What's your website that we can send them to? Um, my website's just my name, ValerieGangus.com. And I'm pretty active on Instagram. If you know, people want to send me a direct message there. Well, I'm loving the book. You're helping so many people with this message and I, I hope to hear more from you. So let's stay in touch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of A Guided Life Podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.